Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you should have a, a uh, outline uh, for for tonight. And uh, if if we get to it, if you see on the bottom of the outline, if we get to it, we will do. Uh, God loves a good argument. Um, so, uh, so uh, but if we don't, then that will uh, will switch that over uh, for for the next week. If we think we want to do that, okay. Uh, but we are settled now that we're going to, our next uh, major study will be the book of Galatians, right? Go like this. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, and we'll get, we'll get done tonight what we can get done. Uh, as you well know, I love to have plenty of material. There is nothing worse than having to say something and then not having anything to say. So, so I want to make sure that we have plenty of material so that uh, we, we will use our time that we have together wisely. Uh, and, and that's what we'll do. So uh, tonight, this is the seventh uh, church in Revelation. And uh, well, we'll just see. We'll, we'll see how, how this goes. Um, what we can uh, know about the church, um, and I didn't put all the text uh, to, to be read up there. I, I want to read some of Gal Colossians to you that will give us some background of what we think some of, of what was going on there at uh, Laodicea. Um, some of this we have to fill in the blanks for, um, and we, but we always hope we do that in, in the right in the right direction. Uh, the main thing, to, <clears throat> one of the main things to look for in, in this message to this church is there is absolutely no praise given to this church. Now that we're, in other words, it's not like you left the love you had at first. Well, the love you had at first was good. So that was kind of a compliment or a praise, and then you build off of that. That was uh, uh, Ephesus. But for this church, there is absolutely, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we're going to read the, the entire text. It's only 14 through 22 uh, verses. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll read that, and, and you'll see that there's absolutely no praise given to this church. So this church is really on the bad side and uh, is, is in a great deal of trouble. Let me see if I can make a little sense of that Colossian passage now where Paul's writing to the Colossians and um, a man named Archa, Archippus. That's all, that's all I can do with that, okay? You, you, you won't hold me responsible for the pronunciation of these, uh, right? Go ahead, yeah, okay. Uh, just one verse now. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. And that is about Laodicea. Let me read the one before that, and then I'll read. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of Laodicea, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it 
that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. We know a little later uh, from archaeology uh, and from writings that Archippus was a name used as the Archbishop of Laodicea later. What I'm, reason I'm reading that to you is we think maybe Paul smells a rat already and has Archippus to, to clean up some messes and he doesn't get the job done, obviously, or we wouldn't be reading this 30 years later from that. We wouldn't be reading this about Laodicea in the book of Revelation, okay? Um, okay, that's uh, Colossians 4. I read 16 and 17. But actually, the passage really starts back up, up in uh, verse 12, if, you, if, you, if you're taking notes. It really starts up back there. Uh, Epaphras is mentioned up there in 12, was probably the pastor of the church or founded the church. Is what he, so, I mean, some of this we can't know for sure, okay? But, but, he, but he is mentioned by Paul in this particular section here. Seems like this whole thing at least this paragraph here is dedicated to uh, Laodicea in the Colossian letter, okay? Uh, all right, I wanted to do that. Uh, remember, be, be on your lookout when we read this and uh, that there is no praise uh, given to this church. Uh, okay, where's our seven churches at? Okay, you see now we started Ephesus and, and went like a clockwise motion, Smyrna, Pergama. Okay, now we're, we've come full circle over here. And, um, well, okay. And my understanding is that's really close to Colossians anyway. All right. Uh, they, well, they're all pretty close, close together there. Um, and so they will have some thing. Um, this place had an earthquake. Uh, Laodicea, uh, the town, had an earthquake. And we'll come back to that a little later too, that leveled the place. And Rome was going to help them, of course, rebuild. And they told Rome, that's okay, you don't need to send your money here, we'll do it. The point is, they were a very wealthy town and they could do this kind of thing we'll we'll come back to that uh, a little later um, okay let's go on and uh, let's read our passage okay oh you remember uh, the uh, general introduction to the seven churches the lampstands are oh that's on the test guys <laughs> Okay, let's go over the <laughs> stars. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah, the stars. The stars are the angels. Messengers, good, from each church. And they're in the hand of Jesus. Okay. And the lampstands? Who's, who's doing that out there? Who did pretty good. Several, okay. <laughs> Several doing that, okay. That's the, that's the churches, okay. And where's Jesus when we start this? Do you remember, where is he? His location is important. No, he, 
He's walking among the lampstands. Okay? When we start this, when we start this, this talk about the churches and the message to the churches, uh, we'll say the message to the angels that are going to deliver it back home. Okay? Uh, we, could do, we could do that that way. All right? And so when we, when we start this, the, the, the stars are in the hands of D Jesus, and he is walking among lampstands. Let's see, let's see where he's at now. Let's go to our text, okay? Right therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand or the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, that's it. That's the introduction to this whole thing with the churches. Okay, from here you go to Ephesus and, and, and so forth. Okay? Now let's go to the message to Laodicea. Specific message, Laodicea. Oh, this, oh go ahead and go back to that. Thank you. I forgot how I did that. I did a little different. These are the four things that we're going to pay special attention to in Laodicea. Banking, which we just touched on a minute ago, they're, they're very rich. They're clothing manufacturers, and we'll take time with that. Uh, it's a medical center, and what they're famous for is ISAV. That's what they're famous for. And uh, then uh, there was a, a large Jewish population in this area, and we'll... Uh, We'll discuss that some, okay, so, so that we know about that. Okay, let's go on to our next slide, and then we'll start. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen. Didn't get a lot on that, guys, okay? Uh, uh, behind that, um, except that it identifies him with a God in the Old Testament at a couple different places, but um, not a lot. The faithful and true witness. So now that gives us some idea of what he's going to speak about. What's his witness? Is faithful and true. Uh, the ruler of God's creation. <laughs> you know, so so you're, you're, you're looking at the big guy here. This is the ruler. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, and the, the word spit out of my mouth uh, could be vomit. Okay, I just want you to know that there seems to be some real force of expelling uh, this. It isn't just like you're chewing the back and you spit here and there, okay? It, that's, not, that's, that's not it. It, it, it could be vomit. It, could, it is a word for vomit as well. Uh, so, okay, let's go on. To the, this is what they say. They say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. 
Is anybody watching this, uh, who's it, Johnny Depp on TV today? And you think the rich and famous have got it all made, you know? Why, well, it, it sounds like a knockdown, drag out fight all the time. I mean, not just once in a while. I, all I want to say is being rich is not all what it's cracked up to be. You know, there, there, this study was done, and they wanted to look at the impact that money has on people and families and, and that kind of thing. And what they found was that as you climb up the ladder now, okay, not after inflation, now we'll have to do this over again, okay? But if, you know, if, if, if you're making thirty or $50,000, that's good, you know, and you're going up. But it seemed like at 60000 there's a cutoff, and no amount of money from there could help your happiness at all. No amount of money from there. So there's a, a place in which money stops helping it just, just stops. And uh, they didn't realize this. They didn't realize this. Uh, they thought they were rich, and the truth of the matter is they were pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, can you see that being uh, naked here uh, refers to their manufacturing clothing? Well, well, we'll talk a little bit later about that, okay, when we come back to that. Uh, or blind has to do with the eye salve that they, that they sold. And what he said, you think you got this all together and you got exact opposite of what you think you have. Okay, um, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. These who I, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So earnest, oh, so be earnest and repent. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Here I am, stand at the door and knock. Where is Jesus now? He's on the outside, knocking at the door, trying to get in. That's important for you to know. As, the, as he begins, he was walking among the churches, and everything uh, seems to be okay. Not real, but okay. Now here, he's on the outside, uh, knocking, trying to get in. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, with that person, and they with me. And uh, the, there are, uh, were, were three meals that was words commonly used for those three meals. This is the supper time evening meal here uh, that, that Jesus promises to have with people who will invite him in. And that means he'll be able to sit down, you'll have a leisurely, wonderful meal together and have time to discuss things that you need to discuss, okay? This is not a breakfast that you hurried up or a lunch that you eat on the sidewalk, 
Okay, this is a sit-down meal here that Jesus is offering. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father and his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And also, uh, just, just a matter of note here, that the message is to all the churches, not just to this one. Okay, you're supposed to read everybody's, okay? This has a specific message, but you're still supposed to read it even if you're from uh, Ephesus or Pergamum or Smyrna, whatever. Okay, all right, let's go, let's go back now and talk about Laodicea was the center of banking for the area. And they had plenty of money. It'll come up a little later when we talk about the Jewish population too. They had plenty of money. <clears throat> you know, if you go to a really poor country, one of the things, first things you have to do to help them rise above that is get a banking system in place. Well, they knew that. They had a really good banking system in place. So if you had a great business idea, you, you had a place where you could get some money to get that business idea up and rolling. And so that's what they did. They, they were in, into banking. And usually, how does banks make money? That charging interest. Yeah. And so you, you want to get that out and, and charge interest on it and make some money with it. And that's what they did. They were in to the banking business. And because they did that, they thought they were rich. And what does Jesus tell them? The gold you have is not good enough. You need, and by the way, there's a really clear passage in 1 Peter that talks about uh, gold that is refined by fire. Do you know what happens to gold when you put it in the, in the fire? Yes, it'll get pure. And I can't tell you what a relief that was for me to find out, not just about gold, but about diamonds and rubies and all those things of value. Even when they're subjected to the fire, it only makes them better. It doesn't destroy them. They're just better. And the good things about you, the good things that Jesus has done in your life and brought you to, when it's subjected to the fire, when it's subjected to real difficulties, those diamonds will always remain diamonds and the gold will always remain gold. The only thing that can happen to that gold is it gets more pure as it gets into fire. And you can, you can bank on that. <laughs> I didn't mean to play on words there, but you can bank on that. Okay. Now they thought they were rich. But Jesus told them, you're not, you're poor. You're poor. And you know people who are like that, no matter how much money they have, they're still poor. And they'll tell you how poor they are if you give them a chance. Uh, I usually tell you. Okay, the next one is clothing manufacturing. And if, if, you, if you've never thought too much about history, just think how, by the way, the clothes we have today are just Fabulous compared to what they had. 
I mean, most of that, that was just a sheet they wrapped around them, and that was their clothing, you know. And in, in this area here, they, there was a black wool, and that they were famous. They were famous for the clothing uh, uh, that, that they had. Um, we didn't do this uh, when we had the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, we, we just we passed, tipped our hat to it as we went by, and that was the clothing that Jesus wore. He had a really good robe. Didn't have a seam in it. I mean, that was a big deal. It didn't have a seam in it. And that's so they de decided not to part that, uh, you know, so that each soldier would get a piece of that robe. They decided not to do that. And that's when they uh, gambled for it. And the person who won, I obviously took the, the, entire, the entire robe. But I want you to see how important clothes, clothes were to those people. And uh, they were the manufacturing there. They had, and of course, they guarded those secrets, whatever it was. And this was, this was black. This was black. And what robe did Jesus want them to wear? Yeah, wanted to get them, get them white. And of course, the contrast is you have a really wonderful black robe, but it's really not going to make the cut. And what you need is the robe that I can give you, which is white, which speaks of what? Purity. Purity, yeah. So uh, Jesus has, has uh, helped them to become pure in, in the for, by giving them forgiveness and also giving them his righteousness. So that, that is uh, uh, just a couple of things. Oh, the, the other thing, it was a medical center. Oh, and, and I think they had hot springs in this area too, if I remember my reading right. I think they had hot, hot springs in this area. But the real main thing that they have was the ISAV. And there was some kind of mineral or something they put in the salve, and uh, they just sold it all over the place. Yeah. So they, they had a really big business for this. And uh, in the uh, talking that Jesus does with them, points out that you're blind. You think you help people to see, but you are actually blind yourself. And then there was a large Jewish population. Mm. Uh, we have a record, and it is uh, just uh, prior to the birth of Jesus in this area, the uh, governor decided that the Jews were sending too much money back home for the temple tax. And uh, uh, so he told them they couldn't do that anymore. Well... Good luck with that, you know, because they got the money together anyway. But what happened is the governor confiscated the money and called, of course, he called it contraband because it was going back to Jerusalem. And, of course, they, they didn't want the money to leave the area. They wanted, wanted it to stay in the area. So I get the governor uh, doing that. But it, it tells us how much it is. And when they did the figures on that, they come out that there was 7,500 Jewish males in the area. That doesn't count the women and the children. So there was a really large and rich population of Jews in this area. 
uh, and that would that would make a di it was enough to make a big difference in the makeup of them. Now, what's the real problem in Laodicea? Let's talk about that. What? Pride of life. Okay. I'm sorry. No, he's not. And why isn't he on the inside? Well, they like their things. They, they find comfort in their things. And what's their, hmm? What? Yeah, it is idolatry. And uh, no, they're just indifferent. Just, you know, they're, they're not hot or cold. They're just lukewarm. They're just indifferent. If you're talking to somebody and they just kind of throw up in the air and say, man, I hate that Jesus. And I, this, that's a person you can probably work with. They care. It may not be the way you think they ought to be caring, but at least they care. But if you get a hold of somebody, oh, okay. And that's it. You can't work with them. They're, they're neither hot nor cold. They, they, you, you, just, you just can't work with them. So this has been years ago. Uh, one of the pastors probably in the association or something mentioned this book, and the name of the book was Whatever Became a Sin. You ever hear of that book? Not terribly old. I think it was in the, in the 70s, I think, when it came out by a psychiatrist called Carl Menninger. You know, you know the book? Okay. By a psychiatrist named Carl Menninger in Topeka, Kansas. So I got the book and read it. I thought, man, I thought this is good stuff. I thought it was really good stuff. And his argument, whatever became a sin, he says doctors are calling everything a disease. And, and they don't call it sin. And because they don't do that, they shut people off from seeking forgiveness. Now, you know, if the doctor tells you you don't need to seek forgiveness, you need to get well, and that kind of thing. Well, yeah, you need to get well, but getting forgiveness is really a step in the right direction. That was his argument, which I found to be a great argument, you know, especially for the church, okay? So I started reading his stuff, and he had a couple other books. I I think one was love against hate, man against himself, and stuff like that. You know, not something I'd recommend reading on a joyous weekend, you know, because it's really ugly stuff. But he said in those books, and boy, it really got me to think, do you know the worst thing that a man can do to a woman? Well, it got me thinking, well, that's a great question. What would that be? And I was in, you know, no... Uh, domestic violence and, you know, none of that. And he answered that. And you know what he said? Nothing. I got to think about that. I got to think about that. And you know he's right. The worst thing we men can do to women is nothing. To be so indifferent as to do nothing. And I thought, started thinking about 
when I argue with my wife. What do I do when I argue with my wife? I do what most men do, which is what? Nothing. No, no, this is, I haven't got to that area yet, Joey. I'm just in my pouting area, okay? I haven't got to that. It's, it's behind the newspaper. I, I just, I have other things to do. And, and I started realizing this, that the worst thing you do to someone is just be indifferent toward them, either hot nor cold. Because when I'm arguing with her, at least it shows what? I care. I, I'm dead wrong. You know that. I'm dead wrong. I'm, I'm, and I'm surely not using the right language. But I, it does show I care. I'm still active in the relationship. But just to sit down and be so indifferent and hide behind, there's just not much you can do with that. And you're, yeah, just not much you can can do with that. And so it, it's better that you're hot or cold. By the way, if you don't understand that the worst thing men can do is nothing, you will never understand the torment and the injustice that was done to Tamar in the Old Testament until you understand that. Okay? Uh, and I, uh, I think we did Tamar in our stories about women in the Bible. Um, does Christianity have the power to make life strong and the grace to make life beautiful? And that's the question you have to ask. And if you just say, well, I don't know, I don't care, you're in a place that is not very good. You should be hot or you should be cold. You should be something. One or the other, you okay? So remember that, especially when you're talking with one of your family members and they just blow up and they, wow, you can probably work with that. This is something you can work with. I got schooled doing that. My kids, my kids were really good kids. And if I got onto their case, they got up, they knew that they had to do something, they were going to do something. But then I run into a young man that he was so indifferent, it just didn't matter. And you could, you could do all you wanted to, it just doesn't matter. And I was really schooled, and I started learning then, that that's the worst thing, is just being indifferent. And... Jesus nails it with this church. The problem with this church is it's just indifferent. Okay, uh, I want to do one, at least one other thing here. Um, oh, how are we doing so far? We are, are, are we getting some sense of a uh, jest of uh, the church of Laodicea? It's just indifferent. Yeah, either hot or cold. And uh, what does is, what is that indifference do to Jesus? Makes him sick. <laughs> I think that's the best way. Just makes him sick, right? And he's, he's about had enough. Now, let's uh, uh, go uh, back to our text. And uh, did you, do you remember the one, uh, the, the reading where uh, 
the, uh, the, the Lord discipline, disciplines those whom he loves. Where, where was that? Really good. I didn't how to go. Okay. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Uh, if you get bored with this, just tell me, move on. Joan, just tell me, move on, okay? I, this is just a pet peeve that I have. I, I want to look at the words and that kind of thing, okay? This is an Old Testament quote here. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. That is a quote out of the Old Testament. The Old Testament passage of this is, quote, I think is uh, Proverbs 3.12. I, I think it means, I, I wrote it down here someplace, uh, but uh, you know, it's kind of got away from me where I wrote it down. All right. Uh, now, usually in the new, yeah, you got it, Linda. Okay. It is three, it's Proverbs 3.12. Okay. Now, usually when you read a quote of the Old Testament in the, the New Testament, Usually when you do that, it's from the Septuagint, okay? And that was a Greek reading that they were all familiar with. Uh, they could have a Septuagint, okay? When you look that text up in the Septuagint, which I'm one of those nerds, I do that, okay? I looked it up and wanted to read it, all right? The word for love in the Septuagint is agape. Yeah, everybody knows that, right? Everybody heard that one, okay? And so you would think you would get that in Revelation, you get the word agape, but you don't. You, you get the word uh, phileo, uh, or friendly love. Uh, actually, it's a different than phileo, it's just phileo without the eo, o at the end of it. Okay, but it's still the same. Okay, and John loved, by the way, am, am I, am I, okay. Uh, and John loves this word. Okay, I, I, he, he uses this. You know when Jesus is calling Peter back to, do you love me? Uh, that is a word used mostly in that particular passage is that word for love there. Okay, and so he, he uses a different word than you find in, well, why would he do that? He wants to communicate something different. He wants to say something different. And what it is, is this emotional care for the other person. Filio is, is like what we would use for brotherly love. You know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that's where that comes from. It comes from this, this Greek word. Of filio, but it has to do with family and feelings and all those good things. God has them for you. He, if you are suffering from the discipline of God, and how many you need discipline once in a while? Yeah. Come on, come on, there you go, come on, you'll feel better with this. <laughs> you'll feel better with this, okay? Yeah, let me remind you, that's the love of God trying to work in your life because he loves you and he, 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 
He wants you to be better. It's not a, it's not a judgment that you're a bad person or anything. It's just he loves you. And those whom he loves, he does what? He disciplines them. He disciplines them. Uh, now, I know you haven't experienced this, but have you seen the child that just isn't disciplined at all? And they take them to the restaurant, and they're all over the place and disturbing. How would you like to be that child to think that nobody wants you around? And your folks are raising you so that nobody wants you around. I mean, it's just injustice to the child rather than helping them discipline themselves and to conform to some kind of decent civility anyway. And then where people are happy to see them. But no, he said, oh, there's that guy again. There's that brat, you know. It is good to be disciplined. It is good for you to be better than you were yesterday and for God to point that out to you, okay? That's, that's the end of my at the end of my sermon there. Uh, so let me see. Let me look at what I got here. Main thing, no praise for this church. Uh, this church needs to be able to see. Yeah, and uh, they need to be clothed properly. And we know instinctively that is true. We know instinct from the beginning of Genesis. When God came looking for Adam, where was he? Hiding in the bushes of the garden. Why was he hiding there? Yeah, yeah, he was naked, and that caused him to be ashamed. He knew that. Okay, we know that down deep. We know we need to be clothed properly. You know that. Ever since you've passed puberty, and you you know, a two-year-old is kind of cute running through the house with no clothes on. That's cute, okay? Very much older than that, not so much. Amen? Because we know that. And so we, this, this is intuitive for us to know that. We need to be clothed properly. Uh, and if we're not, we feel ashamed. Well, that's, we, we, we need to be clothed uh, properly for God there, and, and he will do that. Yes? For certain, that's what the church of Laodicea was doing. For certain, they had, they had all this going for them. But for some reason, they lost a real meaning for life and a purpose and fellowship with God. They had lost all that. And uh, the, the, the worst thing about it is they didn't care that they lost it. They just didn't care. And so they, they were not very much up to finding it. Okay. That will do for our uh, churches. That's number seven, Laodicea. Now, let's do one of the arguments and see how we do it. See if we can get one of the arguments in, okay? We, uh, we'll, we'll need to hurry to get that. Um, the, the passage where we're going to be is in Numbers uh, 13 and 14. Not all the complete chapter. Uh, if you're familiar with this passage, in this passage, uh, the children of Israel have been in the desert 
for two years. They've been in the desert for two years. And they have come up to Kadesh Barnea, uh, up to the edge of the promised land. That's the land that God had promised to them. Okay? They have come up to the edge of this. And they said, well, this might be it. Uh, this might be our land. Uh, so let's send some spies out. I, I don't have a better word for that. Uh, but they are going to go out and look at this and to look at the people that are there and, and bring back all the information that they can bring back. And that's what they do. Uh, they, 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 some, some important person from each tribe, there's 12 of them at this point anyway, some important person from each tribe has a job to go spy out the land and take a look at it and come back with a report what they find. Okay? All right. Uh, and the spies come back with a report, and we'll look at that, numbers 13, 30, and 33. Uh, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. So you've got a conflicting report. And uh, where's Caleb? What does Caleb say? We can, we will, let's do it. But there are those who say what? <laughs> yeah, we can't, we won't, let's go home. <laughs> yeah, good. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Well, what's a bad report? Right. Yeah. They're big people, strong people. We are, okay. Uh, land which we explored, all the people saw that they were giant size. Yeah, they big guys. Uh, we saw the Nephilim, by the way, that's supposed to scare you. The Nephilim, really? <laughs> it's going to scare you, you know, spook you. I, okay. Descendants of Anak and some from Nephilim, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Boy, this is a psychological report here, isn't it? <laughs> what, what do you say we look like? We look like grasshoppers, yeah. Grasshoppers aren't victorious, are they? No. Chickens eat grasshoppers. <laughs> They're not victorious. And they say, well, we, we, well, what they were really saying is we feel like grasshoppers, and so therefore they looked at us and saw what? Grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why I just love that grasshopper deal. I, just, I think it's so good. Uh, out of all the animals you could choose to be, you chose a grasshopper. I don't know. That don't seem right to me. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's a recipe for success, surely. Is it? No. But you always got people that are downers. You can't. You won't. All right, okay.
Is that the, that's the end of that reading there? Okay. Let's see, the people respond. That night, the members of the community raised their voice and wept aloud. Now, how, how are they responding? And rightly they should. Let me tell you where they are, okay? This, they're weeping out of a total frustration. If you think, where are they? They are refusing to step forward into God's blessing. Amen? You, you, are, you see this. They, they, they're refusing. Here's God's got the promise. It's before you, and you refuse to take it. Well, he can't push you in there. I mean, he can't, like, get behind you and do all that. You know. Okay. Let's, let's read on. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Well, they got to be the problem, don't they? Moses and Aaron's got to be the problem. And the whole assembly said, if only we had died in Egypt. Now, there's a second thing. They will not go forward. And so where do they think, which we usually do? Yeah, 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 that's it. Going back. Oh, won't go forward. You, you get won't, will not go forward. And so they think they can go back, okay? Been a play, by the way, Broadway play years ago. If you don't know that now, I'm going to tell you this. You can't go home again. We've done in a Broadway play, so it's got to be true, right? You can't go home. Here's the thing. You can't go back. Everybody knows that. They think they can go back. How come they cannot go back? Who wants to guess this? Who, wants to, who knows this? Good. Excellent. You nailed it. God will not part the rest sea for them to go back. So they cannot go back. Period. Locked, stamped, sealed. You cannot go back. The truth of the matter is you can't go back anyway. Now, you will not go forward. You see that? They won't go forward. Can't go back. What's left, to, what's left for them? Total and absolute frustration. It's the only thing left for them. Okay? The only thing left for them. Uh, or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader to go back to Egypt. Oh, ain't that, that man, you're starting to get really silly now. Yeah, really silly now. Do we have another one in this? Uh, then Moses said it there and fell on down in front of the whole assembly and gathered there Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jeff, Jephaniah, or Jephaniah, who were among these who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord 
be pleased with us. He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He and will give it to us. Look at see the positive, possible, believing in the in the uh, uh, possibility of them moving ahead. Uh, one guy wrote that. How do you say that? Uh, those with faith can see the invisible, therefore they will do the impossible. I thought that was a good line. And that's what, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Just, just so you know, just so you know, yeah. Well, what are you going to do with Moses? Alleged? Oh, we'll just stone him. We'll get him out of the way, him and Aaron. We'll stone him. Yeah, and if Joshua and Caleb are in on this, we'll kill them too. Now, doesn't it, doesn't it surprise you that they're willing to kill each other and not willing to kill the people of the land? I mean, doesn't, doesn't that make you think? Go ahead, Tom. It's, 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 uh, oh, yes, yes, it is. It's a demonstration of I'm repenting or this is so uh, egregious and terrible. I just, yeah, just uh, tear, tear your clothes. The other, another thing that, which they don't do, okay, is throw dust up in the air and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just, just, just uh, they, they, they do realize what a terrible spot these people are in, Okay. Yeah, Moses understands what a terrible spot these people, these people are in. Uh, then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. Now we're going to that. We got a next reading there. Ten B. <clears throat> but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent, and the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? Got, that's God speaking. Yeah, treat me with contempt. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. What's God's intentions here? Yeah. How many of them? All of them, except for Joshua, Caleb, Aaron, and Moses. Yeah. So God says, I've seen pastors that probably take him up on that. <laughs> you sound like a great idea. <laughs> you know, pastors who finally have enough, you know, say, oh, no. Oh, no. No. Yeah. So here they are. Here they are. They, they, they will not go forward, cannot go backward, so they think they'll kill. So God says, I just give up on them. I'm just going to kill them all. Okay? Doesn't look like very good for them, right? Right. Let's, let's read on. Moses said to the Lord, this is, I love this. Now, this is the argument he's making here. By the way, 
he is acting like the priest he should be. A priest does what? A priest goes to God for the people. That's what a priest does. The prophet goes to the people for God. Just turned everything around. But the priest is to go to God for the people. Now listen to Moses go to bat for the people that are trying to kill him. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have seen, been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What did he say? Everybody knows that God is with these people and that you are the God with these people, that Yahweh is the one. Everybody knows that. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nation who you... The nations who have heard this report about you will say the Lord was not able. What's he telling God? God, they're going to say that you weren't able. <laughs> I think this is a gutsy move here. I just think this is a terribly gutsy move here by him to do it. You weren't able to bring these people into the land that promised them on an oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Okay, well, what's his argument? He's, he's telling God what? Don't kill these people. Yeah, you're going to look bad. You're going to look bad. Number one, you weren't able. And also, it's a violation of his what? Ever-suffering love and forgiveness. Okay? All right. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they have left Egypt until now. And the Lord replied, I forgiven them as you ask. So God changes his mind and does what? Even more than that, he forgives them. I, we have to close, okay? We're, we're down to the wire. Don't you admire this kind of courage? Don't you admire that people who just go to bat because they know that it's right against God? Oh, I, I, just, I just think it's something, okay? And don't you want to be that person that can almost bend reality to the shape that it should be? <laughs> so he goes and argues with God. Oh, you can't do that. That'll give you a bad reputation. People will say you can't. And boy, I don't want to be in that camp, do you? No. God said, no, I'm able. I am able. And so 
he talks, Moses talks him into what? Giving him another chance. Well, they have to wait 38 years for that. So, I mean, you don't get off scot-free, but still, he is able to do it. Okay, we'll quit with that. Uh, that's the, the first argument. There, there are two others I look at that I think will be, be fun to do, okay? All right? Uh, are, we, are we clear pretty much? All right. Let's thank God. Lord, we thank you for your word, number one, and how you bless us with it. Help us not to be Laodicea, but to understand that there is power in Christ and there is grace to make life beautiful through him. And help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.